Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Today's podcast is going to take the format of an interview with Craig Martin, who is the chairman of Dynam Capital, who is the fund manager of Vietnam Holding. Now, Vietnam Holding are a Vietnamese-focused fund that are listed on the London Stock Exchange under the ticker VNH. Um, So we're going to cover that in a little bit more detail uh, later and how that fund is uh, comprised. But uh, before we get started, I'd like to introduce Craig Martin. Craig, thank you very much for being with us today. A pleasure. Good to join. Thank you for your time. Yeah. So, Craig, um, Vietnam Holding, it's focused in Vietnam, which obviously is um, one of many countries within Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia, for some years now, has been identified as a high growth market. Um, There's lots of different economies there moving at different speeds and different strengths. So why have you selected Vietnam as your focus for the fund? Well, it's a great question. So Vietnam, as you say, is a key part of um, Southeast Asia, or actually the the Association of Southeast Asian Nations was the the club that Vietnam joined uh, a little over 25 years ago. Uh, Vietnam's attractive to us primarily because of its macroeconomic position. It's a large country, almost 100 million people. It's strategically located. It's got a very long uh, coastline uh, facing um, towards uh, Northeast Asia, uh, borders with China, uh, and is a key hub within Southeast Asia. Uh, People are very hardworking. Uh, It's gone on this tremendous journey in a relatively short period of time. And over the last perhaps three decades or so, the growth has been between 6 and 7% per annum. So we think that's attractive growth. Uh, We think the domestic consumer now is really a very interesting point in that journey as the number of middle-class people in Vietnam is increasing. And it's at this uh, very interesting juncture where it's both a, a big exporter, um, it's a very open economy um, at 200% of its GDP through trade, but it's also a very large domestic market. So it has really two strong um, pillars um, to the story. <clears throat> we don't see that in, in, the, in the rest of Southeast Asia. I've, I've been fortunate to have lived and worked in this part of the world for 25 years. And Vietnam's always been a a market of tremendous growth and tremendous opportunity. Okay, so we're, we're, of course, in very interesting times at the moment with coronavirus, and that has caused significant volatility throughout uh, um, listed equities and and obviously bond markets. uh, And that's really been driven by fallout in uh, the the wider economy. Uh, Now, Vietnam has actually managed something um, quite uh, quite respectable during this period, uh, Craig. In the second quarter growth uh, levels in Vietnam was actually positive. Now that is something, if you're comparing it to many countries in the West, we're seeing very sharp declines um, and, and some are even predicting that this is going to follow through for the rest of the year. But throughout this period, Vietnam has actually managed to increase year on year their economic 
activity. How have they managed to do that? And, and what does that sort of um, suggest for Vietnam going forwards? Well, it, it's been a, a very challenging year, hasn't it, globally? I mean, six months ago, uh, COVID-19 was not on anyone's radar. We hadn't heard of it. Um, and three months ago, perhaps there was hope that the virus could be quickly contained. Um, but now it appears globally it's an all-consuming thing, and, and many major economies still face unchecked outbreak. Vietnam was one of these few countries, actually, that was able to really you know, conquer the curve quickly. Um, and it only had a fairly short period of lockdown for three weeks in April. And so far, it's had a, a track record of, of, of no deaths from coronavirus. But it's you know, very uh, cautious about what's happening in the rest of the world. And although it hadn't had any um, infections for about 99 days, just a couple of days ago, uh, there were uh, three or four infections in Da Nang. And, and then the, the government and the authorities are very quick to react. So I think partly um, the confidence in the domestic economy in the last few months has been because the government shown strong credibility in dealing with the pandemic, uh, good systems, ability to react um, and to encourage and communicate to the Vietnamese people why they need to take this seriously. So I think partly, although the world itself is contracting, and I think we're in a globally probably the worst peacetime growth since the 1930s, and global capacity has been lost, um, and there's a contraction in that economy, but Vietnam's still growing, albeit on a reduced level. Um, as I said, the last perhaps three decades, Vietnam's growth has been somewhere between 6 to 7% per annum. This year will be nowhere near that. Um, the government's targeting 4%. Uh, I think many of the regional banks and analysts are probably saying somewhere between 3 and 4%. And the first six months of this year, GDP growth was 1.8%. So it's growth is down, but it's positive. When the rest of the world's contracting, Vietnam is still growing. And I think it comes down to those two pillars. Yes, there's slowing global economic activity, but Vietnam's still able to maintain a trade surplus. Um, and because people could come out of the, the lockdown relatively quickly, um, the domestic economy is starting to um, power uh, the rest of that growth. So Vietnam's had a, had a number of good things going for it as it came into this year. It came into this year in a very strong macro and economic position, you know, record foreign reserves, uh, record levels of foreign direct investment. So it was very healthy coming into this year, uh, took action very quickly with the coronavirus, um, and has not, uh, is not underestimating the potential reinfections, as we've seen, say, just the last couple of days, there have been a couple of infections again in Da Nang, in, in central Vietnam. So the authorities are very worried about that. Uh, but they've shown that they can take action quickly. So I think the growth is still partly from the fact that Vietnam's a strong player in the global exports. It's attracting investors to manufacture in Vietnam. Um, and also it's got this domestic economy where on a per capita basis, it's showing evidence of, of a growing middle class, about 3,000 US dollars per capita. So that's typically a point where people start to consume more, you know, branded products, um, go to more modern kind of retail outlets, supermarkets, convenience stores, etc. And I think perhaps the, the third area of growth really in Vietnam is how uh, the infrastructure is set for further investment. Um, and so actually, you know, relative to the rest of the world, Vietnam's growth is looking uh, pretty okay. So just to give investors an idea, I mean, where, where 
is Vietnam in its story? Because, you know, obviously with um, emerging economies, you tend to see the manufacturing boom um, driven by uh, overseas manufacturers setting up uh, plants and, and such like in the country, which then brings in the wealth. And we obviously see a rise of the consumer then starts to drive the economy. Where Where's Vietnam at this point in time? Are they still very much in the stage of attracting uh, overseas money into the manufacturing processes there? Or is it really now we're starting to see the consumer drive the way for Vietnam? Look, I think it's both. Um, Vietnam has been an attractive place to manufacture for many years. Uh, and most of the foreign direct investment or FDI has been going into manufacturing. And that's taking advantage of Vietnam's strong strategic location, large population, capable workforce, uh, and relatively cheaper labor costs than many other countries. So it's been an exporter of everything from raw materials and furniture um, historically. And over the last few years, has been moving up the value chain. It's a big exporter of electronics, mobile phones, computers, um, and also it's an exporter of software and services. Um, so that export story and the manufacturing that supports that export are a key pillar of Vietnam's story and growth today. But that has now shown forth in increased wealth of the population. So that per capita GDP as a measure of kind of the economic wealth is crossed $3,000. Might, might not sound much, but um, in, you know, that's trebled in, in less than 15 years. Uh, and other countries that have got to this point of growing middle class level, um, for example, Thailand, when it got to 3,000 US dollars per capita GDP, um, it then doubled again within about seven years. Uh, and China, when it got to this level a few years ago, it doubled in five years. So I think it's both. It's the continuing attractiveness of Vietnam as a place to manufacture. Um, it's got good logistics. The infrastructure's you know, been invested in, in in the last few years. It's attracting a lot more manufacturing, partly because it's a diversification play to, say, China. So manufacturers want to do more in Vietnam. And that will uh, overflow into clusters, uh, which will attract more component suppliers, that's more employment, and that flows into, uh, into the wallets of uh, the Vietnamese people. And that's helping to continue to drive this growth in the middle class. And we think there'll be another 35 million people um, added to the middle class in you know, uh, less than 20 years. So there's dramatic growth um, in the capability of people to consume, um, and so it's it's really th these kind of two two pillars of of great position for exporting, and then a very attractive growing uh, domestic uh, consumption story as well. Okay, so you did touch on China there, which is something I want to move on to because that that's quite interesting. So Vietnam, of course, very close proximity to China, and you did mention a trend of companies starting to choose Vietnam over China, maybe even re relocating from China to Vietnam. Now, Craig, is this something that's happening throughout Southeast Asia on an even basis, or is Vietnam um, receiving uh, a higher proportion of some of these relocations um, or initial investments compared to some of their neighbours? For example, maybe Cambodia, um, 
maybe looking at Laos um, and obviously a little bit further afield, um, Thailand or, or Indonesia, for example. It, is Vietnam getting a higher proportion of, of this uh, sort of funds coming through for the manufacturing basis? Look, I, th- I think it depends. So um, in, in the last few years, uh, manufacturing costs in China has actually gone up. So the coastal parts of China where there's a lot of manufacturing, they become pretty expensive. So manufacturers have been looking for certain products to go to lower cost countries. So perhaps, for example, in garments, they might go to Myanmar or Cambodia that you mentioned. Um, Vietnam's been a producer of garments, but it's also a producer of the threads. And Vietnam's also gone up the technology side. So it really depends on what the manufacturer is making. Um, a garment manufacturer might just look at across the whole of Southeast Asia and look for uh, just purely the cheapest location, uh, where they can manufacture, maybe where there are incentives in place. But if someone's looking at something a little bit more complicated, let's say a, a mobile phone assembler where there are many subcomponents needed, um, probably Vietnam stands out amongst them all in that it has good infrastructure, it's got good human capital <clears throat> and the technology in place to uh, assemble Samsung phones, for example, or Apple earpods, for example. Whereas in perhaps some of the newer uh, emerging economies, such as Laos, Cambodia, uh, and Myanmar, they're not yet at that level. So Vietnam won't get it all. Um, Indonesia will get some. It's a very large population as well in Southeast Asia. Um, But Vietnam will will get some. And we're seeing uh, an increasing number of manufacturers looking to do more in Vietnam. So I don't think Vietnam needs it all. but It'll get uh, probably more than its fair share of this trend of Manufacturers moving some of their manufacturing away from, say, China to be um, for diversification. Last year, we saw it because of concerns over the trade war between the US and China. So manufacturers didn't want to get caught with tariffs in that case. They wanted to increase what they would make in somewhere like Vietnam or or Indonesia. But then more recently, some of the Northeast Asian uh, countries such as uh, Taiwan, Korea, who have already been big investors in Vietnam, have wanted to move more of their production specifically to Vietnam. They're familiar with it. They've had a successful journey so far. Um, and their governments may, in fact, encourage some of the manufacturers to move out from China to places such as Vietnam. So I think it's very well positioned to get uh, more than its fair share of any relocation of global manufacturing. Okay, lovely. So I just want to stay on the topic of, uh, of China for a minute. Now, there's been a significant deterioration in relations between China and the West uh, in the last month or so. Of course, we've seen the closing down of, of consulates between the, the US and, and China, and uh, there's obviously the, the Huawei uh, debate here in the UK. Now, if this was to deteriorate further, what could that mean for Vietnam? Well, I think a lot of um, what's been going on is is kind of politically driven, perhaps US domestic politics, <clears throat> wanting to have a, a narrative that's strong against China uh, and put, perhaps putting some pressure on, on European um, countries as well in that regard. And, and also I think the, the worrying trend that coronavirus has also shown is uh, people, countries looking to themselves as kind of deglobalization after many years of an integration of perhaps of more of the world's economies. So I think it's gonna be a war of words. Um, and economic sanctions and some tit for tat. I don't think it at a stage where it's going to uh, result in actual um, conflict in, in, in the armed traditional sense. Um, so I think 
uh, people are very pragmatic in, in Asia and they play perhaps the longer game. Um, so Vietnam will um, be watching this very carefully. Um, it won't necessarily want to uh, interfere. Um, it will get on with what it's doing. Look to take advantage of opportunity when opportunity arises as people want to manufacture more in Vietnam. Um, but I, I think it's perhaps um, uh, a change in, in, in the roles of the large players of the US and China and they're find, trying to find their feet in this new, new world order or, or, or new normal. Um, so yes, it does create uncertainty for all of the world uh, and Asia as well. Um, and no one wants to be drawn into any particular side. But Vietnam is a, a trading partner with many countries. So it trades with the US, tra trades with China, tra trades with Korea, Japan. It's got a very diversified mix. Um, so can be a beneficiary of perhaps nervousness and, and trade disputes between uh, China uh, and, and the US. Uh, but I think Vietnam will kind of keep its own counsel and will uh, just be uh, watching carefully um, and putting its national interests uh, at heart, as every country will do as well. Uh, but really, you know, focused on its own journey, its own development and its agenda, which I think for, th for the next year or so is going to be very much a domestic agenda of, of better investment in better infrastructure um, and, and using public uh, money as well as foreign uh, money to really invigorate um, its infrastructure, and that should be a multiplier effect. So I think it will uh, it will keep it so keep itself to itself. I would imagine. Brilliant. Okay, so that's a good idea of what's happening on the ground in Vietnam. But let's now look at Vietnam holding Craig. So you're a fund listed on uh, the London Stock Exchange. Now of the sort of key themes that you uh, we've just discussed there, where are you um, placing Vietnam holding in terms of their um, assets and their sort of top holdings? Which themes within this economic picture are you trying to um, really sort of see the benefit in over the long term with, with your investments? Well, look, the way we look at it partly is a very strong macro uh, story of Vietnam. And the macro condition is large growing consumer uh, opportunity, um, a modernizing economy, um, tends to throw out three areas for us. One is industrialization. So that's kind of sustainable foreign direct investment inflowing into Vietnam, uh, increasing infrastructure investments, better policies from the government. So we're looking at opportunities in that theme. Uh, we like also the consumer, um, and even now, you know, an early reopening of the economy is supporting that domestic consumer recovery, and the long-term trend is still a very attractive one for us. And the third main leg is urbanization. So Vietnam still has a relatively low urbanization rate over the last 30, 40 years. It's moving from an agricultural-based economy to a more industrial economy. Um, so got relatively young demographics. Um, and people will want to move towards the cities and they'll want to have a modern apartment or a condominium and they want access to good schooling and better facilities. So we look at themes that are play around those areas of industrialization, domestic consumption and urbanization and the linkages, the business to business linkages in those sectors. So one of our top holdings is in a telecommunications company. Um, it's called FPT and it's a fantastic business that. Um, has a domestic 
broadband uh, business, a bit like BT in the UK, uh, without the, the baggage. It has a, a pay TV business as well, but it has a very strong uh, te- technical um, competency. It trains 40,000 software engineers a year, and it uses that workforce to service multinational com- companies, not only those in Vietnam, but sending engineers to Japan and the US and uh, working on this big trend of digitalization, which is accelerating through the pandemic. Um, We've got a number of strong uh, real estate companies. These are developers that have good land bank and they're building um, in a modern way, the right kind of products that the young um, growing uh, middle class will want to to own, to, to live in. Um, and then we have a couple of great businesses which are in that retail space. Uh, one of them is Mobile World, which has about 50% market share in the retail of mobile phones and accessories, um, perhaps a bit like Carphone Warehouse in the early days in the UK. Um, then it has about a 30% market share in um, consumer electronics, a bit like a, a Dixon's or a business like that in the UK that you'd be familiar with. And then thirdly, it's going into um, grocery in a big way. And this is both physical stores as well as online. So it's kind of like a combination of, a, of an Ocado and a, and a Tesco's mold that together. So one company has three very strong growth engines, and it's also uh, the largest e-commerce player in the country. So e-commerce is growing. Um, the coronavirus pandemic globally is making people buy more and consume more online. So it's it's done a great job in that. So that's in our portfolio. Uh, another company in our portfolio is in the last mile logistics. So in the UK, when you order something from Amazon or one of the other retailers and someone comes with that cardboard box and you have to spend 10 minutes to try and find what on earth you ordered somewhere hidden in the packaging. Well, we have a company in Vietnam, VTP, Viettel Post, which is that last mile delivery company. So it's leveraging its um, uh, postman-like uh, network uh, on motorbikes and through vans, and it's been moving heavily into the e-commerce fulfillment. So that's a very interesting and exciting business in our portfolio. And then we have a number of top quality banks, well-managed banks, um, great positions in their segments in the economy. Uh, and we think some of those are set to uh, really grow the next 12 to 18 months as well. So we've got a fairly concentrated portfolio, about 23 companies. Um, and really, we want businesses where we can engage uh, with the the management of those businesses. Now, I'm not Vietnamese, but the rest of the team are Vietnamese. Um, and they've got a very authentic manner in dealing and engaging with the CEOs and the chair people of those businesses. And we're able to help them on a journey of getting their companies better known to Vietnamese and overseas investors. And that helps us. We're an early investor and we see the benefit of that. So we try and keep it to simple themes, industrialization, the consumer story, and the urbanization theme, and find good businesses, um, look for compounding winners that we can back and hold for a number of years, and see good good levels of, of earnings growth as well. So we're not trying to do anything too complicated, and we're trying to uh, just look to where the, the natural advantages of Vietnam are and find good businesses with very strong uh, defensive uh, business models uh, in Vietnam. Okay, so great. I've I've been looking at the the portfolio, uh, and one thing that's jumped out at me, uh, which is quite interesting, is uh, the PE ratio. 
of the so that's the price to earnings ratio of the overall portfolio um, on a forward basis for 2020. You have it at 8.9, which is significantly lower than most developed economy uh, indices. So if you look at the FTSE 100, for example, it's up and around sort of 14, 15. Now, is this because at this point in time, Vietnamese equities are somewhat undervalued or are we expecting very sharp growth and, and increases in profit throughout the rest of the year? Look, I think a large part of it is is a growth story. So obviously this year is a bit different and a bit special. But if you look uh, through to, to next year and the trend of the previous years, you know, we're seeing businesses that have a good um, double digit um, earnings per share growth. Um, and yet uh, our portfolio trades on on a price to earnings of single digit, so eight to nine times, and as I say, eight times for, for next year. So there's good growth um, in the market. Um, Vietnam's not known to every investor. Um, and although you know the, the capital markets and the, the stock markets developed significantly over the last years, it's now about $180 billion in Vietnam across three exchanges, got daily liquidity of about $400 million. Um, when we first started investing in the stock market in Vietnam, the market, um, the overall stock market was only about $300 million. So it's been a dramatic increase from $300 million overall market size to $178 billion overall market size in, in less than 20 years and daily liquidity now three or $400 million. And yet for many foreign investors, um, they're not here. Vietnam probably has um, a number of frontier investors. Um, but probably only maybe one in five emerging market investors. So um, there's a, a, a lot more to come uh, in, in the Vietnam equity growth story. Uh, but to, to be fair, it's still classified by uh, MSCI as a frontier market. And obviously, people think frontier market must be risk. Um, let's not go there in some ways. But actually, Vietnam's got all the characteristics of an emerging market, um, the size of the stock market, the number of companies you can choose to invest in the daily liquidity. Um, and it's probably a couple of years away from being classified as an emerging market, which would be a, a game changer in terms of the flow of, uh, of inward investment. So um, I think, yes, it's, it's an attractive story. The, the PEs are not too demanding, single digit PE in our portfolio, where you're looking at a growth uh, in earnings per share for next year of um, you know, 15, 20%. So it's a reasonable, um, there's a re reasonable buffer in there um, to consider, you know, the risks in equities and the risks uh, in any market. Um, but I think Vietnam is going to suddenly get a lot of um, uh, applause for how hi historically in the last few months it's handled coronavirus. And so I think it is on more people's radar screen and more people will start be looking, will start to look at the story. And perhaps as people are looking at, you know, where can I put some money in a diversified portfolio? You know, how can I find a, a winner for, for next year? Then certainly Vietnam is is one of the markets to look at very closely in that regard. So for, for investors that are looking at Vietnam or maybe Southeast Asia as a geographical area for investment, what, what makes Vietnam holding different from some of the other options that are options out there. Obviously, there's a plethora of different fund types now investors can go into. Um, some have different geographical 
uh, coverage, some are sort of structured in, in different ways to, to others. What makes Vietnam Holding different to uh, other options out there? Well, for us as, as the manager, Dynam Capital, the manager of Vietnam Holding, uh, this is all we do. We're 100% focused on Vietnam Holding. Uh, we're very nimble. We can react to what's changing in, in the market. Our team are all on, on the ground in, in Ho Chi Minh City in, in Vietnam. Um, they're all Vietnamese, so they're able to understand the trends um, uh, and identify risks perhaps sooner than someone who's a regional investor or investing from the US or, or from the UK. Uh, and they're able to um, get in early to those opportunities and build. We can go in with a, a modest level of conviction and get more comfortable with the company over time and add to it. Um, and we're in probably before those businesses are even being heard of by some regional funds or or some of the global funds. Uh, and so by being nimble, by being on the ground, we're able to offer our investors a very select, very um, unique portfolio of opportunities uh, in Vietnam. Um, well-managed, we're very transparent in our reporting of that. And so it's very clearly a Vietnam story. Uh, whereas perhaps if you were in uh, you know, a regional fund or an ETF, you might not know what's actually under the bonnet. And the other thing to point out is that for 10 years, we've been the fund has been adherent of the United Nations principles for responsible investing. That means we're very selective when we invest in the company. We want to make sure that that company is able to um, be a sustainable investment, that they're aware of uh, their responsibilities with regard to the environment, uh, they're willing to undertake improvements in their corporate governance, um, and their place in, the, in society as a whole. So if you buy just an ETF, you'll, you'll get everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Whereas if you're um, investing alongside a, a closed-end fund such as Vietnam Holding, where the, the fund and the manager are focused on selecting uh, ESG candidates, that's good companies, they may not have everything right on day one on the environment, social governance that is part of ESG, but they're working with those businesses and they're able to build up the confidence and we're able to uh, increase our conviction level accordingly. And also on the downside, if we think something's going wrong, um, we, we can exit a position. And we've done that uh, in the past where they've gone off track around ESG. Um, and again, if you're investing in an ETF or investing in a, in a, in a fund that's not selecting good companies on that basis, uh, you may end up with problems down the track. So I think in summary for Vietnam Holding, it's nimble, it's the right size for the market. Um, it's a very concentrated, actively managed portfolio. Uh, and our team is um, you know, you know, laser focused on finding good companies, working with those companies and uh, building uh, a good portfolio uh, with all the ground on the ground knowledge uh, that have gained over many, many years. Okay, fantastic. Thank you, Craig. So just to, to finish things off, if people are looking at Vietnam as a destination for their capital, what is the time frame that you would suggest that they should be looking at, given the stage that Vietnam is in their growth story? Yeah, look, I think people should look at Vietnam as, as a, a as a part of a diversified portfolio and have a, a three to five year investment horizon because for a number of reasons, Vietnam is still emerging. It's still going through this growth story. Um, 
And within that three to five year period, I think Vietnam will be a very different place. Um, maybe by then it will be fully classified as an emerging market. So it will be on more investors' radars. There will be more capital coming in. And for investors who have come in now, they'll enjoy the benefits of that in, in that three to five year horizon. Um, the other thing to, to look at is by investing through uh, a closed-end fund. It's listed on the London Stock Exchange. You can build up a position by trading on the London Stock Exchange or or sell if, if circumstances change uh, around that. So you're not stuck. And actually, um, as a fund, it's uh, um, it's got the benefit of the fact that as a closed-end fund, sometimes these funds trade at a discount to the net asset value. So there's an opportunity to get in at a price lower than the net asset value. And if you believe in the growth story of Vietnam, then you're getting um, kind of like a uh, two bites of the cherry, so to speak. You're coming into a fund at a discount to its net asset value. And that, that net asset value is comprised of companies which may have you know, a double digit growth level in those three legs, industrial opportunities, domestic consumption opportunities and urbanization opportunities. So if you take a three to five year horizon, you can see that growth come through, that compounding growth. And hopefully over time, the, you know, the discounts uh, will narrow as well to the net asset value. So, um, I th- yeah, I think it's not something if one, someone wants to come in and, and trade it quickly. Um, I think, uh, you know, when we're selecting the portfolio, we're looking at companies through a lens of, you know, in three to five years, uh, what are going to be the champions of, of the stock market in Vietnam uh, and building good positions in those companies. So that's the time frame I would recommend and obviously recommend people to Look at um, diversification as a as a free lunch in finance as a tool to to manage your own portfolios. Fantastic, Craig. Thank you very much for that insight. So, just as a reminder to everyone that's listening, uh, Vietnam Holding trades under the ticker of VNH. So, if you put that into your brokerage account, online trading platform, whatever it may be, that will pop up, and you'll be able to see that in greater detail and as a reminder we're going to be putting in some links and further notes in the notes to the podcast on Vietnam holding so if you do check those out you'll be able to see um, further information and obviously them from there visit the Vietnam holding website for, for further information. Craig thank you very much for being with us today. My pleasure thank you very much indeed. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.